Welcome back to another edition of the Amplify Horse Racing Podcast. I'm your co-host, Timothy Lateau, and it's always an honor to have you listening and to be joined by Anise Mount Pleasure of Amplify Horse Racing and the Kentucky Equine Education Project and Caitlin Christofferson of Grand Slam Social. Anise, you're up here with me in Saratoga, and Caitlin, you're in Del Mar, right? Are you still there, Caitlin? No, no. We, um, I am, like, not doing as much traveling this summer um, because we have been in the process of buying a house and moving. Um, so yeah, I'm currently still uh, in Texas in the heat. Um, okay. Yeah. Wish I were in Del Mar, Saratoga, but we decided to forego any of those trips this year, <laughs> but we'll be back next summer. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I know it's certainly hot here in um, Saratoga. How are you handling it, ha- handling that, Anise? I know you were in Sar- Saratoga for the weekend. Are you still here? I I'm still here. I'm still here for another couple weeks. Okay. Fortunately, it cooled down a little bit. We had that blazing stretch of humidity, and then we got a bit of rain, and it's cooled down. I'm kind of loving this. Uh, I hate to say end of summer kind of fresh, crisp <laughs> feel in the air in the mornings, but. It, uh, it's starting to remind me of the back to school time of year, but we had uh, our first of four Amplify Saratoga tours yesterday where uh, we're basically providing an all day experience for youth and young adults and chaperones to come and learn about the behind the scenes of the backstretch, meet various people who are working in the industry they got to go out on the turf course and learn about turf course maintenance, which was really cool. We went to the National Museum of Racing to have lunch and watch their incredible film. And then we went back to the races to listen to more speakers and visit the racing office and communications office and the, the Budweiser Clydesdales are at Saratoga right now. <laughs> so we watched them paddock school which is really funny. It's like a horse of a different shape and size schooling in the paddock. So really, really fun. Uh, I think that I'll probably need a week long nap after Saratoga is done. Timothy, I'm sure it's probably the same for you with the Saratoga special. I feel like that's always the case with Saratoga, no matter, (laughs) no matter why you're there. Um, you need like a vacation after Saratoga. (laughs) Yeah. That is true. Even though it's a bit of a vacation in itself. Um, so, yeah, it definitely sure. is. Yeah, it's such a blast. And we just got through um, sales week at Saratoga Specials. So we had six straight papers, which was a lot. Um, but <laughs> I know that's kind of how it was when you were there in East, you know, five papers a week, right? Four or five. But, um, yeah, I think we had five when I was there. So it was, uh, it was very tough when you made that transition from going from the Saratoga special to straight back into college classes. Yeah. It was a a rough transition, but I'm, I'm excited to dive into our episode for today. And Caitlin, I think I know that this is (laughs) an episode that is really special and important to you. And so I think it'd be awesome for you to introduce what our subject is for today and who our amazing uh, speaker is going to be. Yes, absolutely. So as I'm sure our listeners know, I'm very, very passionate about aftercare um, for racehorses. And I have one myself um, and I, uh, Charles, (laughs) and I got Charles from New Vocations um, Racehorse Adoption Program. And 
uh, I actually got him um, during COVID. So I got him sight unseen off a of video and I really felt comfortable doing that because of this program and because of how wonderful it is. So I'm so excited to introduce Anna Ford, who is the Thoroughbred Program Director um, at New Vocations and has been with them for many years. And I've seen it blossom. Um, I was actually at the groundbreaking, probably, what was that, 2014 or 2015 for Mirworth Farm, which is probably where you're sitting now talking to us from. That's right. Yeah, 2015. Yes. So welcome, Anna. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So do you want to start by kind of telling us a little bit about the history? Um, because I know it's probably one of the oldest, if not the oldest programs um, for aftercare in with within our industry. Sure, yeah. So um, the program started in 1992 and um, it is the oldest adoption program, but the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, I believe they started in 89. You have to check that out, but they were before us. Um, but yeah, we started in 92 and, and simply because there really was no other program out there offering um, rehab, retraining and adoption services for, for the retired race courses. Um, there was you know, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation where they would just retire to pasture, uh, but there really was not any programs out there um, getting horses into homes, which is what you know, the number of horses that are coming off the track every year, uh, it's really a, a, a large feat to try to retire them all to pasture. And also so many of them um, are sound and healthy and should go on to second career. So, um, you know, we feel very strongly that when a horse retires, if they can go on and have a second career that they absolutely need to do that. Um, and then you can save those spaces for, the horses that can't go on to second careers to have those, you know, retirement um, positions or sanctuaries or retirement homes. Um, but yeah, so that was in 1992, my mom actually started the program um, at our family farm in a little town called Laura, Ohio, just north of Dayton. And yeah, we've, we've grown quite a bit since then. <laughs> And Anna, I, I would love for you to talk about all the different locations that you guys have grown to, because I know you're mm -hmm. in a number of states, but, you know, our, our show focuses on thoroughbreds, but you guys also rehome standard breads too. Mm -hmm. So talk about um, what farms have which breeds of horses and, and all the different states that New Vocations is active in. Great. Yeah. So our main facility is here in Lexington. That's where I'm at right now. Um, and uh, like Caitlin said, we built this facility in 2015. Um, and we have, so at any given time, we'll have about 150 horses in the program and half of them are here in Lexington at this facility. And then we also have um, all thoroughbreds. Um, in Ohio, we have both a thoroughbred and a standardbred facility. In Pennsylvania, we have a thoroughbred facility our New York facility takes in both thoroughbreds and standardbreds, like 15 stalls for thoroughbreds and five for standardbreds. And then um, our Louisiana and our Florida facilities only do thoroughbreds. 
That's really cool. I was actually yesterday, part of our tour was talking about um, aftercare with trainer Rick Shawsberg, who's involved mm-hmm. in a lot of the aftercare initiatives up here in New York. And uh, he was talking about new vocations and the different facilities that they send off the track horses to here and their take two and take the lead program in New York. So it's amazing to think about how far aftercare has come in just the, you know, the last several years, you know, the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite things to do uh, is not that I need another horse right now because I don't, <laughs> but a person can always be looking. You guys do such an amazing job of marketing your horses. And so when I'm on Instagram, occasionally, you know, when I want to do some window shopping, mm-hmm. I'll just go on your guys' Instagram and just scroll through horses. Shopping. Yeah, I still look. I um, I just got in the habit <laughs> of looking at all of these beautiful animals that come off the track. But you're right, Anise, it has grown so much. I think um, so I got, actually got Charles. He is a Claiborne, Kentucky, so bred, um, raised and sold, but he, his one race was here in Texas. And I got him from the Louisiana facility, which I think was pretty new at that point. And it makes sense, right? Because I'm in Texas. So for a horse to ship over, I mean, it was like five hours as compared to 15, if he had been in Lexington or even farther in New York. And then I think even since I've gotten Charles, which it's been, um, we're pretty much on the two-year anniversary, um, you guys have opened the Ocala facility. That's right. Yeah, we opened, we started working with that new facility um, in November of last year. Um, And it's going extremely well, extremely well. So So how does um, that work when you get like a, a, basically a satellite facility? Is it somebody coming to you and saying, you know, we'd like to be a part of what you're doing or how does that happen? Um, normally it's pretty strategic as far as like, we, we have a five-year plan that we work off of every five years. And what part of that plan is, are there other locations that we want to branch out to. And so um, all of the facilities that we've opened up, we specifically were looking for uh, a farm in that area to partner with. And so the things that we look for when we're looking at expanding are obviously where there's a need. Um, We'll use Louisiana as an example. You know, there was a huge, our our plan before Louisiana was to do Florida first because we get a lot of horses from Florida every year. And, um, and so, uh, at the time was that 2019, um, there was a lot of, um, social media coverage of Louisiana horses going mm-hmm. to slaughter. And so there's like a lot of press around that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were, th- that was obviously on our radar. And in that case, we were approached by um, the horseman's group to see if we would be interested in coming down there. And so, um, we kind of pivoted there and said, okay, we'll wait for Florida. Let's look at Louisiana. And so when we look at facility, new locations, um, we're looking for several things. We're looking for a need. So obviously there, there was a need. Um, second part of that is, um, that it's near, you know, there's a, a large number of racehorses. Louisiana has four racetracks. And um, third, 
that there's funding to sustain it. And the horsemen's group really rallied together and said, you know, we're going to help help fund this. So, um, and then fourth, it needs to be in a geographical area where adopters can easily either ship their horses out of or adopt locally. Mm-hmm. And so, although we don't have a lot of people adopt locally, um, we don't have anything over in that area. So kind of like you, Caitlin, and in Texas, mm-hmm. we've had a lot more people from um, Texas, Oklahoma, and, and those areas adopt, as well as um, Alabama and like the surrounding states, like the southeast in general. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that that really worked out well, and and um, we've been really happy with that. And then you know, this last year we were able to then go back to our initial plan of Florida. Those horses always just went up to our to our Lexington facility here, so we could continue taking them in, but that just kind of spreads us out a little bit and we're not so full here in Lexington all the time. And then yes. your, your, um, your mom, she founded uh, new vocations, you know, can you tell us a little bit, you know, the backstory behind that? Yeah. So, um, she, at the time I was, I was still in high school and, um, she was, um, she ran my parents' farm or family farm which is a standard bread farm and she learned that at that time you know horses coming and going um from the from the standard bread breeding farm um this through shippers coming and going that there were these thoroughbreds that when they were done racing they were just being given away and so she kind of started investigating that and learned that you know not only were they being given away but some of them were going to slaughter and so she was pretty active in the 4-H club at that time. And um, we had a really good um, 4-H club where, the, I don't know how it is now, but back then they were really, there was like clinics and, and um, camps and like we kicked out some really good horsemen back then through our local um, 4-H club, but most of them did not have a lot of resources. And so, um, you know, my mom was like, wow, you know, these horses are so such high quality individuals and athletic um, and they're being given away. Is there a way to kind of match the two together where we can transition wow. these horses so that these um, the people that maybe don't have the means to, to buy a fancy horse can actually afford one. They, they had the means to take care of them. They just couldn't afford a high price, price tag. So that's where the idea came from. And um, I believe the first year, she um, took in about 24 horses and it quickly grew to hundred horses by um, 2000 and well, by 2000. <laughs> and then um, now we're taking in anywhere from four to 500 a year. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's that a huge so impact. Cool. And um, mm-hmm. you know, what's it like, you know, now working, you know, as, you're kind of a family organization, you know, what's that like? It's, it's good. I mean, it does have its challenges, right? Um, I was just the other day on our board meeting. Um, I said, my only regret is that my mom didn't have more children because <laughs> <laughs> my sister and I both work for vocations and um, with the job market these days, we feel like we're, it's the three, my mom, my sister, and myself, we've been the only ones here the whole time. <laughs> and um, if we had more siblings, it would, it would definitely um, lighten the load, you know? Um, so it, it's good. I mean, yeah, I always feel like my, my job is to make sure that the program continues the way that she wanted it to be. And if not better, and, um, 
you know, there are challenges in working with family. Uh, my mom and I are very much alike. So if anything, <laughs> it's more of a challenge for us, but my sister and I get along great. So it's a kind of, it's a, it's a unique, like, you know, trio uh, dynamic. So we can all, it's nice that we can bounce things off of each other. And if, um, if we're having a challenge or whatever, we can kind of divert to the other person. So, um, but my, my whole family has been in the racing industry for five, six, I'll be sixth generation. Um, wow. So, you know, we're all used to working together and it being a family operation. So, yeah. Anna, when did you realize that aftercare was really your passion too because sometimes when somebody grows up so immersed in the industry mm -hmm. the kids like to go in a completely opposite direction um so how did you decide that you wanted to to stick with the racing industry and continue involvement in aftercare so um yeah when I was in college I did not want to do anything with horses you're 100 percent <laughs> correct because everything in our life revolved around horses Christmas morning, all the horses had to be fed, chores done before we opened presents. Um, the number of presents were all dependent on how my dad's racing was the year prior. Uh, we never took vacations ever. Uh, we had to be home. Our curfew was at a certain time, not because my parents wanted us home, but so we didn't wake the horses up that were gonna be racing the next day when we <laughs> drove into the driveway. So, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, actually did not want it to, to be in the horse industry because I was just like oversaturated with it. It's all we ever did. It's all they ever talked about. It's all they ever thought about. Um, so, you know, college was good for me. I got to escape from it and, and explore some other uh, fields. And I was really passionate about doing youth ministry. So I took, I, I did a lot of work, missions work with teenagers enjoyed that tremendously um, and continue to do that too. But um, it was when I got married and we came back and lived on the farm just temporarily. My husband from South Africa and he was waiting for his green card uh, to get processed. And that was 2000. And that's when I realized how big new vocations had already gotten at that stage. And it was just my mom doing it all by herself. And she was really uh, struggling. Um, she's very much a, a micromanager, control freak, all those things, um, would not hire anybody to help her. And I knew that I was the only person that she would allow to help her. Um, so yeah, I think it was more of a gradual thing. I did think it would be more temporary. Like, oh, I'll help get this, you know, sorted and, and, and then I'll go do our own thing. Um, but the more I got, you know, it's, I think you always kind of go back to what you're familiar with, right? Um, and to me, horses is like second nature. Um, and so initially, even though, you know, originally I was working more hands-on with the horses, new vocations has allowed me to do more business stuff too. I'm, you know, I was able to hire people to work with horses and then do more of the fundraising and the networking and the development side of things. And that's really what I enjoy doing. Um, I obviously will always have passion for the horses, enjoy that. And I do miss um, getting to ride and do that. Many, there are many days now where I'm like, 
I wish all I had to do was ride the horses. That would be a lot easier um, <laughs> than like out these windows. You can't see it's too funny, but like I can see all the horses being ridden every day. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, that would be so nice. Um, but I do, you know, I do enjoy the developing the program into what it is and making sure it stays like that and continues to to serve the industry to the best of its ability. And you guys absolutely have, I mean, the, I feel like having been through the process myself, it's such a personal process between you and Leandra and Morgan, who I worked with in Louisiana. I mean, you guys are, it's really amazing how hands-on you are to ensure that each horse goes to the best possible home for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Caitlin. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, there is a lot of, there's a lot to it, right? So I, I don't think people uh, realize, especially our industry, like they think after care, oh, you're taking care of these horses. And it's like, yeah, but one horse, the, the amount of people that have to work to get that one horse a home, at least in our, is like eight people have figured, have had to do something with that horse, whether it's the trainer, the person that's um, screening our applications, um, the person that's raising our funding, uh, our veterinarians. Our, like there's so many people that are involved in from our team just to get one horse at home, you know? So it is very in-depth. Mm-hmm. Okay, Lynn, I wanna have you talk through kind of the adoption process from your end um, when you got Charles, but Anna, you guys developed a really cool sort of rating system, I guess, to help mm-hmm. potential adopters figure out what horse would be best for them. Can you talk about the development of that and how you guys came up with it? Yeah, so, um, you know, our trainers were, one of our biggest challenges is, is when you're dealing with adopters and although we have a lengthy application process, it's helping them understand like what the horse can and can't do and also understand what what their abilities are and in general it's kind of like if you if you've ever gone like on a trail a public trail ride and um you see the people there and they're like oh yeah I'm an experienced rider you know and you see them get on and you're like yeah you know that's not I don't think they're an experienced rider so everyone's like in their mind has something different right of of what experience means and also in their mind of like what what Yes. It's all very relative. Yeah. 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 So we just are trying to streamline the system of like, okay, the horse's riding ability is one, two, three, or four. And this is what those mean. Um, This is what it's like on the ground because some people, you know, if the horse is pushy on the ground or something that bothers them. Um, And then, you know, just there's different, I don't have it in front of me, but um, it's pretty in depth. So that it's helped streamline the system for both our trainers to really think through like, okay, let's categorize some, some of these different things that people are really looking for and what can help them make this decision better. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the only other challenge that it doesn't do is that the person adopting still has to have a good understanding of what their ability is. So that, that they can only do technically, right? So, yeah. That makes so much sense because I'd imagine, you know, you probably have 
some horses that come in that might have been a fan favorite to some level and maybe have a long list of people who would be interested in adopting it. Or I, I've heard plenty of people say, I really want a gray horse. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes the gray <laughs> horse that's available does not match your, you know, your riding ability. So to be able to have that, that classification system of, you know, maybe kind of foretelling what a horse is you know, athletic potential might be, and um, also just temperament and how well they're going to get along with their rider. That's really valuable. Yeah. And I think there's like socialization on there too. So like, how are they with other horses and all of that stuff? But I will say gray horse trumps all that. So like we have people all the time that are like, <laughs> but I want this one. And you're like, yeah, but you said you wanted one that's a, a level, whatever, you know, and he's not that level. I don't know. I don't care. I just want that. They just kind of sit all things disappear if it's a gray horse or me chestnut. That's funny. Sometimes you just want a, you know, a pretty unicorn and yeah. like, that's so funny. Oh my goodness gracious. Caitlin, how, how was it for you when you were going through the process? Did you have a specific idea in mind of the kind of horse you were looking for or you just saw Charles and I did and just based Um, on the description you were like he's perfect no I I definitely had a specific idea because I knew what my goals were um and my goals were to compete and to really be able to showcase the ability of a thoroughbred to go in the hunter ring and be fancy and be flashy and compete with the warm blood. So I knew that I needed something that was going to have the brain and the athletic ability um, to, to be able to transition into that. So um, I, I think I came to them and I said, you know, this is, I like, I would need them to be able to, you know, jump at least two, six. I don't want a ton of baggage. So probably not a horse with 40 or 50 starts under its belt. Um, you know, I, I wanted something that was a bit of a, a blank canvas. Um, and so after, I don't know, maybe like six weeks, um, Charles came along and he was very popular Um, but I got, we got a little bit of luck because there happened to be like a hurricane come through Louisiana. So that (laughs) delayed things, um, that delayed some of the process. And so by the time, um, by the time I had decided, okay, this is the horse. And I, um, I, I knew a lot about him and, um, I, texted I think I texted Morgan that night and um I was like okay I'm putting my deposit down right now like don't let anybody <laughs> else take him so yeah no I came in with a very well I say very realistic but again it's relative I mean I have learned so much the past two years um and I have had my ego checked and ever you know uh all of that um so yeah you come in thinking well I've been around horses my whole life I've ridden my whole life um but until you go through the process especially and not just with a thoroughbred but with any young horse um you you really you just don't know what you don't know um so I definitely recommend you know for anybody to have like outside assistance um second opinions before you get the horse I I certainly we would not be where we are today um 
if it were not for our trainers um, in the barn that we are at, um, you know, helping to keep Charles happy and healthy and um, while while bringing him along um, in a way that is very kind and, you know, manageable for him, um, not pushing him too much, um, too fast. So yeah, it's really, um, you know, I think you, you have to have as realistic expectations as you can. And mm-hmm. so you, and you also need people at new vocations who are kind of, you know, who they're the gatekeepers, right? So, um, they, they try to be as honest in like a gentle way, <laughs> like, okay, well this horse, you know, yes, it's gray, but it might not be like what you said you were initially looking for and kind of temper expectations. And, um, and then, you know, you need to have people like a support group when you bring the horse home, because, um, once you bring the horse home, it, it can be a completely different experience. And then also as the horse transitions, as it settles in, that's, you know, Charles went, um, he first showed up and he was just an absolute puppy dog. And then he got, he got settled in, he got feeling better. Um, he, you know, and he kind of came to life a little bit and, um, and started acting like the three-year-old, like recently gelded, (laughs) um, that he was. So just having, uh, a support group, like all around, um, is just, I think so important and new vocations definitely, um, does that for you. So it's, uh, like I said, I, was really only comfortable going through them, um, especially doing it sight unseen uh, mm-hmm. and, and getting a horse that I had never even seen. Like there wasn't even video of Charles under saddle. I just saw video of him running around uh, <laughs> in the arena. And, um, and I thought this horse is nice. And I knew that he had uh, the physical, like he didn't really have any physical limitations. So um, yeah, it's, it's quite an experience, but I think now, I mean, he has, he was a, he's shown in Kentucky. He's shown at the biggest a shows in Texas. Um, and he absolutely holds his own, um, against the warm blood. So I, I just love that, you know, hopefully we've been able to be a bit of an ambassador for the sport and especially in Texas too, because I do feel like on the East coast, the thoroughbreds are, coming back in style a bit. Um, you know, they really, they are the original hunters. If you look at the, um, junior finals and the McClays and all of that from, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s, they were all on thoroughbreds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully that pendulum is coming back a little bit. Um, but definitely in Texas, you know, we're always a little slow to catch up to the trends on the <laughs> East coast. So they're just now like, um, or have, for the past several years have really been importing like these big big horses from Europe. But um, yeah, Charles is, he, he's always an eye catcher. (laughs) Anna, before we, you know, start winding down, um, I want to make sure that we ask you a few events or about a few events that you've um, either hosted or are going to be hosting in the next few weeks. And one recently was real rider cup, which i uh, if I'm correct, I think it was the first one in Kentucky, right? It had originally been held in Maryland mm-hmm. and I went out there and it was so much 
fun. It was like a combination between a fun social event and highlighting the athleticism of these off the track thoroughbreds. Uh, but can you talk about what Real Rider Cup is and maybe some of your guys' goals for um, future hostings of the event? Sure, yeah. So the Real Rider Cup um, was created by Anita Motion. It's her idea. It's a great idea. Um, basically, it's a jumping competition where um, competitors all ride a thoroughbred. And in order to um, ride in the competition, you um, agree to raise a minimum of $1,000 for aftercare. And the aftercare groups are New Vocations, um, the Retired Racehorse Project, and then the Fair Hills Thoroughbred um, Show, Horse Show. And so um, the, the riders also have to have sponsored silks. So they ride in jockey silks, which is really neat. So and cool. then they also are able to form teams. Um, so I know like Stronic Group had a team and there was a Haggard um, vet team. And there's like, um, I think there might've been like a farm manager's team, you know, a jockey team. There's all, all different teams can form from it. Closing the Provenant brought, brought a team as well. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a really great um, concept because it's kind of like the, the old walkathon concept, you know, where if you can get all your friends to donate $10, it all adds up. And so um, the riders alone have already raised over $100,000. And if you wow. look at, so there's 31 riders. Um, you can do the math, how much each one's raised um, on average. But then if you looked at the average donation, it was like $25. So it's, wow. it's really a neat concept of getting a lot of people involved where they can just donate a small bit, but it adds up to be a lot. Um, so then we all compete. We hosted it here at our facility, which we were really happy to do. Um, the, the riders all get to jump the course one time. Um, Caitlin, you would, you, I don't know if you got this, if you were here or not, but basically they don't get to ride, they don't get to practice the course or school over it. They get to walk it on foot and then they come in and there was 300 people all around the arena um, and just jump that course, just cold. <laughs> And, um, and so yeah, that, no, I wasn't there. I was so disappointed that, um, I, it's a goal to do it at some point. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a challenge. Like, yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's the concept. It was great to have it here. Um, we've talked about it and COVID, you know, kind of slowed that down. We did it virtually the last couple of years. Uh, they're still going to host the, um, the one in September, I think it's the 16th. Friday night at the Fair Hills Thoroughbred Show. Um, I'm sure they're going to have, they normally raise anywhere from 50 to 60,000. So I, I mean, it could be a combined event that reaches almost 200,000 at some point or more. Um, so we're really excited about it. We've already committed to doing it again next year. Um, and yeah, it was, it's a really, it was a neat, it's a neat concept for sure. And I was really bummed that I, I was going to come help and then came down with COVID, but you had a really fun kids educational mm -hmm. event for your daughter's classroom where, you know, they're what's in second grade and got to come mm -hmm. out and, and learn about aftercare. Uh, so how did that event go? Because it's something that we're going to replicate again at an upcoming Amplified Junior event for kids 12 and under. Yeah. It was great. Um, so 
she had, there was a hundred second graders. We split it over two days, so 50 and 50. Um, we had four different stations where they would stop as they rotated through the farm and learned about different things from like the body parts of the horse to um, our babysitter horse and what he does with socializing the horses when they get here and learn how to be turned out to the training that we do under saddle. We had some demos going on. And then we have um, the Stone Street room where we have all of our history. So we go through the history of, of new vocations. And then they had a, um, a stick horse relay race, which was a lot of fun. Uh, we got rid of all of our uh, old ribbons that we'd been collecting. Like just, you know, Aww. when you run shows, you end up having all these <laughs> extra ribbons and they don't, if they don't match for the next year, then what do you do with them? So we just gave them all away uh, as prizes. And um, then they had picnic lunch out over um, under the trees overlooking the horse field. And yeah, it was great. They had a lot of fun. The amazing thing was some of these kids had never seen a horse in, life, in real life. Wow. Uh, I'd say at least half of them, uh, let alone touch one and then wow, yeah. you know, learn about it. Um, to the point where like when they went out to do their picnic, they were told they could bring blankets or towels or whatever. The kids were like, where do we, where are we going to have our lunch at? Where, where do we sit down? And I'm like, on the ground. Well, we're not just sitting in the grass, you know? I'm like, what is wrong with today's kids? Like, they don't sit on the ground? Like, oh my gosh. So Well, and like, I know from experience that touching a horse, especially at that age, can be like life-changing. Mm -hmm. yeah like can truly That's alter really cool. the course of your life <laughs> so yeah it's yeah wow, so fantastic. It, was, it was good we, and our team actually we do tours out here all the time I think it was their favorite tour because the kids were just like Aww. so um responsive and like at that age like they just say whatever so like their questions were really fun and um but yeah it was it was neat so anybody out there around Lexington or interested in traveling to Lexington, August 27th from 10 to 12, we're going to do something similar to that. Uh, the registration will be on our uh, website at AmplifyHorseRacing.org. So check that out. I'm so pumped. I still want to do one that has a Spanish component to it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that would be really fun. Um, so awesome. Before we wrap up, one thing that I wanted to touch on is industry involvement. Um, Anna, you mentioned like the Stone Street room. And mm -hmm. when I went to the groundbreaking, I was there um, with Windstar Farm covering it for them um, because Elliot Walden was a part of it. And so I just want to talk about, I know you have stalls like named after trainers. So mm -hmm. I really just want to talk about and kind of emphasize um, for people who maybe don't know how much support and involvement you all get from the industry at this point. Because I, I, I don't think that has always been the case with aftercare, but um, I think it's becoming, you know, every year it's becoming more and more important to the industry. Right, right, yeah. So, um, I mean, we've only been able to grow um, because of the, the funding that, that the industry gives us. And, and the, you know, we do receive grants um, from outside sources, say the ASBCA um, and some private foundations. But overall, um, the majority of our funding, I'd say 70% is coming directly from the industry, if not more. 
and we definitely have a lot of um, owners and that are extremely supportive. We've had a lot of the farms that are extremely supportive. And, you know, the facility here, like you said, there's a name on everything because it was sponsored by, you know, people from the industry came together and helped us build this facility. Um, so um, we're very thankful for that. Um, Stone Street has been a huge supporter as well. Um, and when you drive into our facility, we have lawn jockeys representing the the owners and farms that were instrumental in helping us get this facility um, up and going. We call them foundation donors. And those little guys keep multiplying every year. So <laughs> it's great. It's great to see. It's great to have. We wouldn't be able to do what we do without the industry support, that's for sure. It's wonderful. Anna, thank you so much for yes, coming thank on. Thank you. I've been, been wanting to do this episode for two years. <laughs> uh, anytime. Yeah, it's always so great. To, aftercare is such an important part of, you know, education in general and reaching people beyond just our little bubble of racing. So thank you for all that you do and everyone at New Vocations and everyone involved in supporting aftercare. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. And just a plug, we always have internships and entry-level positions available. Everything from hands-on with horses to administrative work to events, all that kind of stuff. So we would be happy to share that information yes. and share it on social as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Anna, where can people go to um, find info on those um, you know, positions to get involved? If they go on our website, there's a menu bar on the side and you click on that and it says, I believe like job openings or positions or join the team or something to that extent. I don't know, um, but it's all on our website. Perfect. Thank you so much, mm -hmm. Anna. Have a great rest of your yeah. summer. And I'll see you soon at the end of August. Sounds good. Thanks guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Amplify Horseracing Podcast. Be sure to check out our website, www.amplifyhorseracing.org, and follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube for more of our content. If you have any podcast ideas, please email us at info at amplifyhorseracing.org. We'll catch you next time.